0: What's up, bikers? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar Podcast live stream, episode 115. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I really appreciate all of you out there. Tonight's guest is Fast Co, that's F-A-S-S-T. That means they're really fast. If you haven't heard of them, they, um, they've they been in the, in the moto industry for a while and uh, kind of breaking into the MTB stuff. But before that, let's go ahead and get started with the normal beginning of the show. You know, like where you hit fast forward on your your podcast app. But see, I don't do it in a certain amount of time. So you're never going to know exactly how much time I'm going to talk about you following me on Instagram or Facebook. That would do me a big favor if you guys did that. Like seeing those numbers rise. So it, it uh, helps me keep motivated. I did log in to the Apple podcast reviews just the other day to see if somebody somebody got one in February and somebody did. I really appreciate you taking the time to go out there and write a review about the podcast. If you guys wanna be the next person that I'm thanking, I, I wish I should've wrote down their name. You think I'd be better prepared for this, but you know what? It's like another day or two left in, in February and and you could be the first person to do it in March. By the time you're listening to it, you could be writing a five-star review about the pot, about the biker bar podcast. That'd make me stoked. Helps the, the podcast do better. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening on YouTube, hit subscribe, man. Um, those numbers they help as well. So every every little bit helps if you hit thumbs up, makes the algorithm think that this doesn't suck. And um, then more people can come come enjoy the show. And then I keep doing it because if nobody's liking it, nobody's subscribing, I'm assuming it's not doing well. And um, then I stop, right? Just go back to sitting on my couch, drinking beer by myself again, (laughs) (laughs) enjoying Sundays that way. Anyways, I'm going to go ahead and bring today's guest back on or on for the first time for you guys. Hey, how's it going, Jason? Not too bad. How are you? Oh man, just living the dream, right? Yeah. Heck yeah. I appreciate you having me on. What's that? I appreciate you having me on. Well, yeah, dude, totally. It, yeah. it it's uh it's always fun to get somebody else out here and and talk to them, and uh, you know, it's interesting to see where like where companies come from, how they got there, and I always tell tell people whenever like I'm kind of pitching the show to them, it really helps kind of humanize your 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 business, you know, like instead of somebody thinking that it's just some like dude over there with a suit on, you know, just like signing checks and making money like it's really like people that are that are like putting food on the table you know
1: yeah exactly I'm passionate about the sport passionate about what we're doing and yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy man the amount of people that just think we're driving bmws and just cashing checks is wild right
0: couldn't yeah.
1: be the truth
0: yeah and everybody thinks that the businesses are a lot bigger too I, I yeah mean, from what I, i've noticed like even companies that are let's just say like bigger names in mountain biking like they're still pretty small. Like yeah. unless you're like specialized or you know what I mean, like one of these huge companies. It's there's not a lot of people behind the scenes like making it happen.
1: Yeah, it's surprising, especially in this day and age, man. There's uh, a lot of companies doing more with less. That's for
0: sure. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You stopped your sentence before I got my beer down my throat. There, I was like, oh wait. I'm <laughs> <finicking."> <laughs> uh, so, where are you guys look at it, located at? So we're in
1: uh, we're technically in Washington, Utah, right next uh-huh. to St. George. So yeah, oh. we've got uh, we've got really good trails at our leisure here, and trails right from the shop. And yeah, it's a cool area. It's uh, it's a really good area for the business.
0: Yeah, yeah. How, how long? And so, if I remember correctly, when I looked at the website, you guys have been around since like '99 or something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So they started the company in 1998. It was a college project, and uh, man, one thing led to another, and. Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride i I came on board in 2000 uh, 2011 late 2011 early 2012 right and, uh, just as a moto athlete and right. uh, yeah it's it's been a wild ride man it's been cool to see the the business grow and um yeah it's it, it's pretty rad and with a small business like this a small company you know everybody we we always say that we wear a lot of hats right like there's right. no oh, that's not my job. Like you'll right, never right, hear right. anybody around here say that, you know, and it's like the passion that you have in a small business like that is rad. Like it's yeah. something that you don't see everywhere, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and I think that's like, that makes it fun though too, right? Totally. Um, so you were saying uh, um, it was a college project. Can you, can you explain <laughs> that a little more? Yeah. So uh, my college projects were like, how many beers can I drink in the next four hours? <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh no, kidding! Yeah. So uh,
1: the guys that own the company, Chris and Cole, they're uh, like childhood friends, you know, and they've grown up riding motorcycles together pretty much their whole lives. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, they were seniors at Cal State Long Beach, and uh, they created so. Cole, uh, Cole is kind of like the product development guy. He's more like the moto racer, and then uh, Chris is more like the business mind. You know, he's more the right. nuts and bolts, ties everything together. Um, but nonetheless, they grew up racing together. You know, their whole lives, and um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, they were just going to school together. They were friends. They were Chris actually was working at Mid City's Honda at that point, uh-huh. and uh, just just a parts guy behind the counter and. Long story long, they, uh, yeah, it was a senior, a senior project at Cal State Long Beach and they started with a spoke torque wrench. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but basically what it is, is it's just a quick, easy way to check your spoke torque on motorcycles. And um, Back in those days, you know, at that point, like some of those parts on the motorcycles were mass manufactured. And so the tolerances weren't really good and they worked, but didn't work well, you know? And so Mm -hmm. at that point, uh you know, Cole and his dad, his dad had some machine, like a lathe and stuff in their garage. And so pretty much at that point, they were just making parts that were solving issues on their own motorcycles.
0: You right, know, right, They're just like, 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 Hey, let's go out there. Like somebody would do with the 3D printer right now. They're like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like one of the big ones
1: that they made was um, like a brake, a brake clevis that just had tighter tolerances. So it wasn't so sloppy. Uh-huh. Um, but the actual project that they did uh, that started the company was that spoke torque wrench. And, it's pretty crazy to see the uh just the ebb and flow of that thing and the uh the, the amount of mechanics that use it and yeah it's uh it's, it's a pretty sort of, cool. kind
0: of like what you would see on a mountain bike where it like kind of like clamps onto the the spoke and just kind of like measures the the tension like that or
1: yeah so it actually wraps around the spoke head and um so i've actually got one here so it's a little oh, okay. that's the wrench head and yeah it wraps around the nipple and then you click it into the wrench.
0: Oh, uh, so it's getting... like a torque wrench then. Exactly. So for people listening, it looks more like like what a actual spoke wrench would look like that you would be like tightening and loosening your spokes with. Yep. Except for the... it goes on to a torque wrench so that it kind of like clicks whenever they're so they turn their spokes to a certain tension. Whereas like on bike wheels, you're like measuring the actual tension on the spoke itself.
1: Exactly. Yep. And with the moto wheels, it just having a good even pull over throughout the the entire wheel just yeah maximizes the strength and and back yeah. in those days that you know when they started the business in like 97 98 when they were creating the product at that point wheel maintenance was uncharted territory you know like right. they didn't it wasn't uh yeah at that point nobody made a, a spoke wrench and you know all the OEM callouts in the manuals were really really low and so for the most part they've kind of helped write the uh you know write that I book that. on on wheel maintenance.
0: So it would just like, like it was like a factory wheel, just like some machine would just spin them in there. And it was like, yeah, it's good enough. See you later. And that, would, that yeah. was how you got it. Exactly. And then
1: one one thing
0: too, is like whenever you buy a brand new motorcycle,
1: the wheel, it might be true, but it's not tight. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the first time you go ride it, the nipples are coming loose and then the wheel starts getting square. And yeah, it yeah. just, uh, you end up chasing your tail pretty quick there. So it's nice to just have a tool that it takes the guesswork out of it, right? Like you know, all yeah. the spokes need to be at this torque, and right. you just go through, rip right through it, and you're done. It's you know, two minutes, three minutes yeah. for both
0: wheels, and hundred percent. So, I mean, before that, basically, what a guy would do is just go out there and kind of like, from experience, know, hey, this is about tight enough, and just you know, that would be that. And yeah, and what they do,
1: what what most people do is they just tap on the spokes, kind of, and listen for certain harmonics, you know, and it's like, yeah.
0: That's that's not accurate. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would imagine that's that's probably all over the place. So they start this like just kind of like doing this stuff for themselves, and then they do this project. Then how does that become a business? So they started with the spoke torque
1: wrench, and at that point, like I said, they were fresh out of college, and they were still working other jobs, and um, it was more for them. They were kind of like just fans of the sport, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of like starstruck that mechanics at the supercross and motocross races were using the wrenches and um, right so they decided
0: after they did this project they are like we're, we should sell these things
1: basically. yeah so cole's younger brother was actually racing supercross at the time uh-huh and so they were taking the spoke torque wrench and the brake kits they were taking those products and then they would just go sell them at the supercross races you know they oh, were trying it. to get whatever teams to run them and then um yeah so that was kind of what jump started it all got And it, um, got it. okay yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, yeah, once the spoke torque wrench came in, they started with the brake, the brake components. And then they went on to like anti-vibration inserts that go in the end of your bar, mm-hmm. um, kind of like external or internal bar weights, you know, they just help, help minimize some vibration. And then, um, the handlebar, our, our flex handlebar didn't actually come in until a little later. It didn't come in until, come in until, um, I don't think it hit production until 2004. So it was so a little just rough.
0: because the engines like idling the handlebars are kind of like obviously you're getting the 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 kind of jiggling around from that is that what you know that what they were trying to overcome or actually overcome from the ground as well
1: at that point honestly I think early on it was more kind of injury prevention Cole's uh, younger brother he he cased a jump racing supercross and did some damages damage to his wrist and um mm-hmm. So real early on, I think it was more for like injury prevention kind of thing,
0: mm-hmm. and then you know, so after, those inserts—they were just how, what would they what would they be doing? What's that? You said they were like inserts in the handlebars. Like, what would they be doing?
1: Yeah, so it's basically you know, you think of like skateboard dodos, and I hate to describe them that way, but that's the easiest way for like people to you know visualize them. Uh-huh. So it was basically they were using like a polyurethane elastomer. Um, uh-huh. And it just isolates the handle from any metal to metal contact. So right off the get-go, it helps drastically with vibration. And then also, you know, like if you come up short on a jump, um, the bar is working in the plane of the suspension. So if you have like a catastrophic overjump or a catastrophic overjump, the bar is going to minimize that a little bit, you know, and just help Mm -hmm. hang on to the bike.
0: Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So this is like – for other people that maybe don't know skateboarding, like it's kind of like a rubber grommet, but it would just go inside of the bar you're saying? It actually goes,
1: it, it is kind of outside, but uh, it's basically where the handle is pressed into the center section there. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, there's a little elastomer and we actually have a compression elastomer that's a larger one and mm-hmm. then a rebound elastomer. So the compression elastomer would be like if you're actually landing a jump or, um, you know, if you're compressing the handlebars downward. Uh-huh. The rebound elastomer would be like if you're trying to bunny hop the bike, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a feeling like that where you're pulling up on the bar. That's where the rebound is gotcha. noticeable.
0: So then that that's so. But well, you're talking about the handlebars that you guys developed at that point, yeah? Yeah, yeah. No, but you said before that that there was something that they were they had developed that just went inside or something like it was like.
1: Oh yeah, right. yeah, yeah. The anti-vibration insert. Yeah, it's it's basically just a brass insert that slides inside the handlebar end.
0: Mm -hmm. and what does that do
1: just dampens the harmonics
0: Uh uh-huh yeah it's it's uh, what's that just like you said the harmonics so it's just not shaking as much or something or
1: correct correct yeah so think like um you know like a sport bike like a sport motorcycle they Mm -hmm. have those little external bar end weights they have like that you know on the outside of the grip they have like an additional little hangout that's like two inches out yeah yeah so that's an external bar end weight and basically huh. ours is a similar concept but just internal so uh-huh. you can you know on the motorcycle side you can anchor hand guards to it um but yeah it, it just helps minimize that high frequency vibration you know like motor vibration or um,
0: and i thought that i had a sport i had a couple of sport brakes. i always thought that was just like my frame sliders on the end of the bars there. <laughs> i didn't even realize they were weights <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's something happening there for sure yeah Totally no idea there. That's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, so you guys start, they, they start building this business. Obviously, things start taking off. And, um, by the time you came to the company, you said it was like 2011. So they've been at it for about 10, 11 years at that point. How big was the company at that point? Um, it was starting to grow, but
1: at that point, it was still kind of, um, I mean they were doing pretty well, but really the big issue for us was all of our stuff is hundred percent American made. And so the cost of production was was pretty heavy there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it wasn't until we pulled production in-house that we were really able to start growing and, and uh
0: kind of moving forward. But so at that that point they were still like they were like getting some local machine shop to the machine their parts for them or whatever and then
1: exactly. Yep. So they were they they started out of Cole's parents' house. They were just in a shed in the backyard Mm -hmm. and they were having a local machine shop machine, all their stuff and assemble all their stuff. Right. And then slowly over the years, they, you know, bought a building in Utah and just kind of slowly pieced it all together. And so here in the last like four or five years, we finally, you know, we've, we've got a couple machines here. We've got a few mills and a few lathes and pretty much everything is in house now, everything except for anodize. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of nice to see that progression too, because when I came on board, um when i started working for the company we we didn't have much control of production you know like yeah. most of the machining was done out, uh uh was outsourced we knew where it was happening and it was done yeah. in so well but still we just didn't have great great control over it
0: right 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 and so yeah it's that's, is that's like, super, like is it like a lot of like skill that goes to that or is it like something that's expensive because i got a buddy that runs a, a a hub company and he doesn't do his own anodizing either he like sends it out to you
1: yeah, it's tough man. And I always say like anodize here in the states is kind of a little bit watered down. Like we've talked about doing our, our own anodize. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd have to do it in a separate facility just because EPA regulations, you know, and for us at the end of the day we don't do anodize. You know, we yeah. we make handlebars and and motorcycle and mountain bike parts, you know, and so we right. tossed the idea around of doing anodize in house just to save ourselves the trouble, but right. Maybe one day, but for right now, yeah. Yeah, we're just bigger fish to fry. Kind
0: it, of so it's just like some like crazy chemicals that they're using or something like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And actually here in the
1: States, I think they're kind of restricted on some of that stuff. Um, oh, but, wow. but still, it would require a separate facility. And by facility, we, we had just talked about doing like a shipping container in the back, you know, and just doing <laughs> it in there. But that's a facility. <laughs> yeah. yeah really. and so I don't know we talked about it, but it's just maybe later on. But for now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. I was just curious because uh, it, it made me think my, like I said, my friend runs a, a hub company and yeah, totally, totally, definitely um, isn't doing himself either. So I was wondering yeah. what it was to it anyway. So um, how long was it until you guys decided to get into the, the handlebar spot then? You said that, I think you said Cole's brother, like got in, into a crash or something like that. And that's kind of what spawned it or?
1: Well, no. So he was racing Supercross and and uh, that was kind of what started the the moto handlebar was a, a crash back then. Um, and then throughout the years, you know, we just made a bunch of moto handlebars and kind of put our focus there. So uh, how did
0: that so, I, that, so I was trying to stay on the moto side before, before we jump over to the MTB, but uh, so then basically like you guys start selling these, these moto bars because I, I forget who it was that you said got injured, but, um, and then the, the, the reception was well, like right away, or like, did it take a while for that to kind of start taking off?
1: It took a little while just because they're so conceptually different, you know, like when you look oh. at them, it's a different handlebar. So, um, you know, because motor
0: bars are typically like one solid piece, like, like, my, correct like, like ones are right. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. Correct. Correct. And yeah. So, um whenever we brought that handlebar to the market it was just a little bit different than what people were used to but um honestly our biggest our our biggest you know form of marketing has always been like word of mouth like once Mm -hmm. people ride with the bar it's a totally different discussion yeah and um and and i'm kind of proof of that myself um that's one of the big reasons that i'm here is like i i I raced off road at a pretty high level i had a pretty bad elbow injury one year and Mm -hmm. the guys here fast company reached out to me to run the handlebar and I was like eighteen years old, and I was kind of just ignorant, you know. And I looked yeah, at
0: everybody yeah, really is at eighteen.
1: Yeah, and I looked at the handlebar, and I was like, ah, no thanks, you know, yeah. just kind of a knucklehead about it.
0: Yeah, and I look dumb. I'm over it. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And uh, later on that year, I ended up riding a bike at the twenty four hours of Glen Helen, and it had wow. a set of flex bars on it. And every time I got off the bike, I was like, man, the front suspension on this thing feels really good. And everybody was just laughing. They're like, man, it's it's not the suspension; it's the handlebars. And for me, I was like, man, I. I refuse to believe that a handlebar makes that big of a difference, you know? And so I ended up reaching back out to the guys here at Fast Company and I was like, hey, can can we meet at Glen Helen? I want to do some testing on my own bike. And that was in 2010. So yeah, here I am 12 years later selling handlebars and, you know,
0: passionate (laughs) about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So definitely like it it made that much of a difference to you right away. For
1: For sure. And that's one thing that,
0: you know, as a high level racer, like
1: there's very few products that make that big of a difference day in and day out. Yeah. so for me, like when I found that, you know, when I was riding with something that legitimately made a difference, you know, a noticeable difference in my riding, it was like, okay, this, I don't care how these look, like they're going on all of my bikes first, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, um, yeah, they, I don't know. I mean, yeah, once I started racing with them, you know, really once you ride with them, Uh, it's a different discussion. And so, yeah, yeah,
0: I, yeah, here I am. So as far as the moto ones go, like you guys have different, um, different models of those as well, right?
1: Yeah. Different bar bins. We have about 80 different bar bins. Um, We say that we have
0: like sweep, up, sweep, back, sweep kind of thing. or Yep. Exactly.
1: So it would be back, sweep, height and width. And so between those variations, yeah, we've got a bunch of different bar bins. We can pretty much accommodate anything under the sun, you know, whether it's a snowmobile or a motorcycle or a quad or an adventure bike or Uh like, yeah, we've got a handlebar for everything.
0: So how does it start going then? Like, what is it that makes you guys start looking at the MTB market?
1: Uh, Honestly, all of us were hybrid moto mountain bike guys. Like as you know, kind of like as the mountain bike industry started to shift like 2011-ish, 2012, and like just the geometry of the bikes was getting gnarlier, um, somewhere along the line, all of us ended up separately picking up mountain bikes. And so all of us were hybrid moto mountain bike guys. And we'd go riding our mountain bikes. And after like 15, 20 minutes, we're shaking out our hands, you know, and we're rubbing our palms. And it was like, kind of like an aha moment, you know, where we're sitting there and, we're on a group ride with a couple of us and it's like, dude, we, we, we know we can minimize this. We know we can help with this. And, um, you know, I think that old saying is like necessity is the mother of invention, you know, and that's kind of where it started for us. Like all of us were hybrid moto mountain bike guys. And anytime we rode our mountain bikes, it was just, it was odd that our hands were the debilitating factor. You know, it's something that we're not necessarily used to. And, um, right. So yeah, it just, um, Kind of naturally started there and uh at that point I wasn't living here in Utah I was uh I was working off site I was still working for Fast Company but I was working in Southern California and going to school out there. Mm-hmm. And I was racing cross-country mountain bikes. I had kind of transitioned from moto to mountain bike by that point. Mm-hmm. And uh I, I just started harping on the guys to to make me a handlebar because at that point I was riding probably 15 to 20 hours a week cross country and my hands were just you know my hands would hurt. And I I knew we had something that could help with that.
0: And Yeah. 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 You're so, like, dude, this works for like a motorcycle that weighs hundreds of pounds. Like why is it not going to work for my. Yeah. And so that life?
1: was, that was in 2014. And uh, yeah, I basically told the guys, I was like, just send me a handlebar and let's just see. And that the first proof of concept that they sent me was just, it's funny to look back on now, but man, that first proof of concept was atrocious. It looked yeah. like our motorcycle handlebar without mm-hmm. crossbars. Like it was big and it was bulky. But as soon as I pointed downhill with that thing, it was like, okay, we're onto something. Like there's 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 definitely yeah. something here. You know, we've got to refine some things and you know, tidy up the design and figure out elastomers. I mean, there was a lot to do. It, it took right. us, you know, that was in the summer of twenty fourteen, and we didn't release the handlebar until the fall of twenty seventeen. So it mm-hmm. took us a couple years of really, you know, kind of harping on the product and just, we are our own biggest critics really at the end of the day, you know? And mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah, it took a couple years of really getting that handlebar to, to where we wanted it before we could release it to the public. But
0: yeah. So as it is now, it's actually five separate pieces, right?
1: Um, so like it's two technically-
0: and kind of like two of the angle pieces and let's just say, One that goes through the stem, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah, so it's actually three separate pieces, three structural components. Uh, Um, Okay. The handles are only two,
0: quote unquote hinges on it. Let's just call it that for.
1: Yep, yep. So the handles are pressed into what's called the dog leg, and that dog leg is what articulates. And then, so each side has a handle and a dog leg. I
0: like that name.
1: (laughs) So each handle has, or each side has a handle on the dog leg, and then this intersection. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll kind of show you on here. So this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this basically is the dog leg here. This, this right. piece, this, this is actually what dictates the rise of the bar, the rise and the back sweep, right? So this uh-huh. would be, this is the back sweep. Right. So yeah, it's basically the dog leg here. The handle is pressed into it. And then this is what we call this. This whole thing is basically the center section, but it's made up of a yoke, which controls, um, some height as well. And then just the center tube, which is where your stem would clamp. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. So,
0: so it takes you guys. Would you say a year or two or something like that to kind of to like get that all like dialed in, or
1: three and a half almost? It okay. was. Yeah, it was a process, and really, the biggest thing was, you know, the 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 biggest thing, honestly, was the elastomers. Um, the the feeling that you want out of an elastomer on a two hundred and fifty pound motorcycle at seventy miles an hour is a much different feel than what you want out of an elastomer on a mountain bike that's 30 pounds going 30 miles an hour
0: you know like just i would imagine you want something like tremendously softer (laughs) than what you're using in the motorcycle and
1: yeah and the the hard part on the mountain bike side was how you know that window of what's acceptable on the mountain bike was much smaller like on Mm -hmm. on the moto the range of what's rideable and what's usable is a little broader you know and um on the mountain bike it's it is a little a little smaller as far as rider weight and um you know you you do have a little i wouldn't say fewer options but um yeah that the the window of of elastomer is a little tighter on that mountain bike bar than it is on the moto bar
0: do you have different elastomers for like somebody that's like a big rider compared to a skinny rider or like yeah uh uh, so so that how do you determine that for when somebody's ordering it. Is it just, they put in their weight or. So.
1: Yeah. We ship the bar with all the spare compression and rebound elastomers. Uh, And we ship it with a little info card that kind of has some direction and just give, gives you some basic direction on where you should be with elastomer setup, whether Uh it's rider weight or skill level or what kind of bike you're on. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. There's a little info card that just kind of points you in the right direction where you should be. And um, yeah, there is kind of a, I would say there is a little bit of a weight, you know, rider weight there that has some, uh, is kind of applicable to which elastomer you're going to pick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine as well as like how you're riding. I mean, like I would think somebody is doing a bunch of like smoother cross-country stuff compared to somebody who's like just smashing some rocks, you know, they're, they're definitely going to maybe want something a little, little different, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And the same would apply for a barbin too. You know, like somebody who's riding, you know, less aggressive trails. We'll say, you know, somebody who's riding primarily cross country stuff and, you know, riding more, more mellow stuff, just more, you know, like six, eight hour days on the bike more, I guess I wouldn't say bike packing, but like XCO or XC stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys tend to prefer a, a handlebar that has a little more back sweep. Mm-hmm. And then the guys that are riding like enduro or trail bikes, those guys prefer something a little straighter, with downhill bikes.
0: What do you prefer- think the reason is for that? I
1: think it's a little easier to keep your elbows up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. With uh, with a, a bar that has a lot of back sweep, it does kind of force your elbows into your lap. Mm-hmm. And the way we describe that on the moto side is like you just feel cramped. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, don't feel, you don't feel like you have a lot of operating room. And then so naturally the the instinct there is to start rolling your bar forward and then your issues start stacking on themselves.
0: What's wrong with that?
1: So as you start rolling your bar forward, the back sweep starts turning into the rise of the handles. And then it's just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, then you're not really getting, you know, if you're on a traditional handlebar, um, if you're on a traditional handlebar, it's not hugely detrimental. I mean, at that point, you're not really getting the value of the, the bar bend for what it is. Um, but on our handlebar with the way our bar is articulating, if you roll that bar forward, you're not getting great performance out of it. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, that makes sense there.
0: Yeah, if you my roll my buddy my buddy um is always giving me a hard time about where i put my handlebars. actually um i think i was introduced to you from richard from sticker yep that's the guy i'm talking about every time oh, we yeah. hang out he's bitching at me because i roll my bars forward but i always attribute the way that i roll my bars is that i'm that's how i like the sweep so it's yeah. like me adjusting the sweep and i think for him he thinks of it more as reach Yep. So like, he's like, this reach is wrong for you. And I'm like, no, I feel fine like this, but I don't know. I guess if I was using your bars, I'd have to have to get it right. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's thing, like, on the mountain bike side, it's not,
0: well, even with the traditional
1: handlebar, it's not the end of the world. You know, like we see people yeah. roll the bar forward and um, again, on a traditional handlebar, it's not the end of the world. But one thing we've learned over the years, just from talking to riders and, you know, changing bar bends and playing around with different setups Usually if a rider is rolling their bar forward, it, it, it's a sensation of just not feeling, you know, not having enough operating room. And then, um, you know, as you mentioned, some guys will roll that bar forward and then they kind of just get accustomed to that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can, you know, you can do the same with a slightly straighter bar and then keep it more neutral.
0: Um, yeah.
1: You could do it with a yeah, longer stem. You know, there's either. there's a lot of stuff you could do on the mountain bike just to kind of play yeah. with play with ergos and bar position.
0: I tend to use a smaller frame than, than like, I'm like on that, like in between, you know, yeah I'm six two. So most companies say that I probably an extra large, but I, every time I ride an extra large, I don't really like it. And I usually end up going with a large. And I think that bar thing is probably partially part to do with that. Cause I mean, I have my seat like slammed back on the rails and then I'm just like kind of opening up the the cockpit just a little bit more like that. But I like the frame smaller. <laughs> I just feel like I can I can throw it around better.
1: Yeah. But. That would make sense as well. Cause that is something that we see on the moto side. <clears throat> like if a guy is on a handlebar that has too much back sweep, they'll just literally start rolling that thing forward, you know? And yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. So in the moto side, like yeah. weight, I would imagine doesn't really freaking matter. Right.
1: No. I <clears throat> mean, there are some people that they'll mention it, but dude, on, yeah. 250 pound motorcycle. I mean, we're running like three ta- or three gallons of fuel, you know, we're right. running big fuel tanks and steering stabilizers and skid plates and.
0: Yeah. And like, you got like, a motor.
1: Yeah. The amount of weight on a modern day motorcycle is just, it's right. like, man, it, and honestly, it's getting that way with mountain bikes, you know, and it's, it's getting to the point where it's like, you know what, bikes are getting heavier and people just want to be comfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you tackle that then with the, with the MTB world? Cause I don't think that, I mean, I would ima- imagine your bars probably weigh fairly more than a regular bar. How, what's the weight look like? Yeah. Yeah. So there are
1: carbon bars, about 400 grams. So it's about a hundred grams heavier than an equal width carbon bar. It uh-huh. is quite a bit heavier, but um,
0: what's a hundred grams. I don't even know what a hundred grams
1: are. <laughs> So a spare tube for perspective, a spare tube weighs like 200 grams.
0: Uh huh.
1: You know, it's. Per- yeah. I think that's a twenty-seven point five tube as well.
0: So it says hundred grams is like 0.22 of a pound, so about a quarter of a pound. Yeah, yeah, you're splitting
1: hairs for sure, but
0: yeah, yeah
1: the you know it was it wasn't so super. The tough.
0: difference in the weight is what you're saying is a hundred grams.
1: Correct. Yep. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. So the
0: the and
1: again that's over an equal width uh, equal width bar.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: But. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the bar is a little bit heavier, but kind of how we've always approached that, even from the moto side, is performance-based, right? Like, you're going to – you know, your hands are going to hurt less at the end of a long day on the bike or consecutive days on the bike, Um, less fatigue in wrists, elbows, your neck. I mean, uh, like the – whenever you consider the performance benefits, it's a small penalty to pay for that added weight.
0: You know, it's – Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, with stuff like that where it's making you more comfortable – Um, a lot of times what you, what you, what you lose, let's say, let's say the performance that you lose in weight, you gain back more so in your body, not being tired, which is like better stamina and better, like, like overall kind of performance. Like, like, for example, I read this thing about like, they did these tests with like air pressure on road bikes. And it was you know these guys that are running like 100 or 125 psi and then they had some people running 80 and it was like the people that were running 100 psi were like faster out the gate but over time the people that were running the 80 psi were like less fatigued so they ended up doing better overall it was kind of weird you know like, yeah
1: that would make sense though i mean 100 you know what that'd be a 45 psi difference and you know, think over the course of six, eight hours on the bike, that's definitely going to fatigue you more. And you're going to be a little, uh, a little less fiery, you know, at the end of a long day on the bike for sure. Like it, yeah. that's, you know, like we always speak to the high frequency, high frequency vibration or high frequency abuse, you know? So think Mm -hmm. like if you're riding in Moab or something, you know, and it's a bunch of like rock ledges, just consecutive Mm -hmm. rock ledges, something like that would be high frequency, high frequency abuse. And, you know, that's really what, what causes a lot of the abuse, you know? Mm-hmm. Longer hours on the bike, like that high frequency stuff, is really what uh, what causes that fatigue.
0: Just that chatter, that yeah chatter. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, I mean, I-, I could see it over a day. Like I know, like when we're doing like shuttle days here locally, and I mean, you're just like smashing downhill and rocks, and you know, and it, it's pretty typical that like exactly what you said, you know, when we get to the bottom of the hill, everybody's kind of like shaking their hands out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or uh, I, I even remember there was a run that I was doing just the other day. And I remember yesterday, actually, when I was riding, and then we were doing this long downhill section. And it was like, I came into a pedal, like a pedally spot. And I remember just taking like one hand at a time off the bars, just like <laughs> stretching my hand, put it back yeah. on. Doing yeah. the same thing with the other one, just so I could like get that like claw feeling going, you know? Yeah. Just some kind of relief. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I can see how, um, how it would be beneficial to, you know, what you guys are doing. So, yeah. So how do you come up with the, like the elastomers whenever, I mean, it, is it just like you look for this material and then you like reach out to whoever makes them and you're like, Hey, I want, I want them in this size. Or is there some way that you guys can like create them yourselves? Or yeah, we're like figuring it out.
1: We have played around with making our own elastomers here in house, but the consistent consistency in production is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. We we make our foot peg elastomers like we, we make a foot peg for the motor motorcycles. Mm-hmm. We do those elastomers in house, but the mountain bike elastomers are uh, like I said they're they're a little more finicky, and so we just mm-hmm. have um, we have a vendor in SoCal that does that for us. Um, and one of the materials or one of the reasons or, you know, how, how we select the material that we use is what returns to its previous shape and its previous density as many times as possible. <clears throat> so, oh, yeah, okay. um, for us, that's something that, that matters, you know, something that's going to last not only six months, not, you know, a couple years. Like we don't, we don't want people to be riding with these things for a few months and, and have elastomer issues. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, like on the, on the moto bar, we have guys that reach out and they've ridden with the bar for like 15 years and they're like, yeah. Hey, do I need to do anything with this? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, man, I mean, it wouldn't hurt to throw some new ones on there by any means, but yeah, you know, that's so, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you could get, you know, you, you could get years out of these things, those things, no issues. But I tell folks, you know, if, if you're getting a lot of seat time, change them every year, every two years, like just uh-huh. the, when the bike is sitting in the garage in the winter, just throw some new elastomers on there.
0: Uh-huh. And what, what's the feeling that people, then it just starts like flexing too much. Yeah. And I so mean, it's have, a, it, like play in it.
1: Yeah. It, it, it starts to kind of break in. Um, I guess I would say start to flex a little too much. Um, and it is a slow kind of, per, uh, you know, it does happen over time. And so a lot of times it takes right. people to take, takes people a little while to figure that out or, or kind of notice it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, more than anything, it's just kind of a slow, you know, breaking down of the elastomer.
0: Yeah. 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 So um, what about like, how how are they being held together? Cause I mean, I would imagine people are afraid of like, probably that would probably be one of the other questions that you get from people is like, how's this not going to fail on me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they, man, I tell folks that just, you know, over the last 20 years of manufacturing motorcycle handlebars, like we've figured out what works, what's strong, what doesn't. And so when we, you know, scaled that down for our moto bar, our, our mountain, or when we scaled that down for our mountain bike bar, our mountain bike Mm -hmm. bar is really overbuilt for mountain bike standards. Like Mm -hmm. we joke around about it where you could literally drive a UPS truck over that thing and be fine. (laughs) It is legitimately overbuilt, you know, and we would rather it that way. That's how all of our stuff has always been. We don't want to have something out there that's, you know, not up to our standards or, um, And really at the end of the day, we just, we don't want to be dealing with, with people having issues on our products, you know? So we're not going to release something that's not, not strong that we wouldn't trust ourselves. And, um, I think that's another good thing too, is we have so many good capable riders here in house that, you know, before the public sees anything, we've got years and years of testing and development into a product. And, um, so yeah, there's four, so we have two bars, we have the uh, the carbon handlebar mm-hmm. and the alloy handlebar. the carbon handlebar the handles are pressed and bonded into the end uh, of that dog leg mm-hmm. on the alloy bar, it's pressed and roll pinned, so there's a roll pin on the bottom that's holding it all together and um it is pressed fit, but that roll pin is kind of just a safety measure mm-hmm. and then, yeah, like I said, I mean they're you know seventy seventy six t six aluminum titanium hardware like it's it's definitely a burly handlebar <clears throat> and whenever you pick it up, when you pull it out of the box, that's, that's immediately evident.
0: Yeah. You're like, man, this thing's kind of heavy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I would imagine the other thing that you get people talking about every day of the week is how much it costs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man, to do it and to do it right. comes at a cost. That's for sure. Like there's, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, each handlebar is, you know, built by hand, individual individually inspected before they leave. Like, there's a lot that goes into it, to say the very least.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's just for so people know it's like three twenty five something like that.
1: Uh, yeah. So the aluminum bar is three twenty four ninety nine, uh-huh. and then the carbon bar is four twenty four ninety nine. So it's a hundred dollars more expensive, and it's a hundred grams lighter. Mm-hmm. The carbon bar is,
0: but. I see. Like I said,
1: the alloy, the, the alloy bar—it's bulletproof. I mean, if if you were a you know if you were a cross country cross country guy that's going to be racing cross country forever, the carbon bar is probably the best way to go. But otherwise, the alloy bar is perfect. I mean, for mm-hmm. modern day e-, e bikes and trail bikes, and the, like the the trail bike that I'm riding right now is like 35 pounds. So mm-hmm. an extra 100 grams, I'm not worried about it
0: yeah 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 so the 100 grams that when you were saying it's a 100 gram difference that was for the alloy
1: yeah but it is uh 100 grams heavier than an equal width um carbon or equal width alloy bar or carbon yeah. bar is
0: the carbon is still okay. correct yeah. Right yeah all right right on yeah well um i mean I, at the end of the day like this could very well be a handlebar that you don't like get rid of you know what i mean like you get a new bike you would keep your handlebar you'd throw the the stock one back on so it's like yeah and that's I mean, how if i was gonna go buy like a m9 NV bar those are like almost 200 bucks
1: exactly <clears throat> that's kind of how it is on the moto side you know like like i said a minute ago we have guys that have a handlebar for 10 15 20 years and i mean yeah obviously like you know, if you have a catastrophic crash or something on the moto, like things things can happen, products fail, but
0: yeah. um,
1: or they can be damaged. They don't fail, but um, yeah. I mean, yeah, like the the goal is for you to have this on your bar for years and years to come, and that that was kind of the thought behind our alloy bar. Is uh-huh. it just really like with our carbon bar? The only issues that we ever had with our carbon bar was people over tightening the controls and crushing the carbon. You mm-hmm. know, just literally not paying attention to the carbon torque specs and just over tightening the brake controls and crushing the carbon Mm -hmm. and so it was like all right let's just let's offer that alloy bar just to have it and and it takes that you know takes that out of the equation so Mm -hmm. um yeah like i said i mean the alloy bar is
0: with the carbon one is everything carbon or is it just like the the just the handles?
1: just the handles are carbon
0: Right. So you guys could probably bring the weight down if you, if you built the whole thing out of, out of carbon then.
1: Yeah. We've, we've tried and we've looked at some ways of doing it, but yeah. Cost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're like, they're already pissed about 400. What happened? If we bring back to <laughs>
1: yeah. But again, the cool thing is like with our moto bar, you know, same thing with the mountain bike, mountain bike bar. Once, once people ride with it, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This makes sense. Like why, why yeah. didn't I get this sooner? Why didn't I try this sooner? You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely an interesting idea. I mean, it, it's, um, it makes sense. I mean, it totally yeah. makes sense as long as it doesn't. Like, I, I would imagine that most people are just worried about the flex. But
1: yeah. And that's one thing, too. You know, like when people, you know, people look at the handlebar and they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want my handlebars to move. And it's like, yeah, I, I agree. But if you do it in a natural motion or a consistent, you know, consistent plane, if you do it right, there's some benefits, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. And uh, so, yeah, I with our handlebar, like it's that's
0: really hard. To, I mean, can you like really notice like right out the gate? Like, can you feel it like that it's moving or, or is it just more like everything no. feels better?
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's honestly more in the things that you don't notice right. than, than noticing the handlebar move. And that's one thing, like, it's kind of a catch 22. Whenever people ask us, well, do you feel the handlebar move? And it's like, Not in the fact of actually feeling the handlebar move like a noodle in your hands, but you feel less abuse at the hands by the end of a ride, you know? And then somebody
0: was mentioning rev grips in the comments earlier and yeah, are you familiar with them? Oh yeah. I've ridden with them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I got a set of them and I don't know, maybe I'm just not super observant, but I didn't really notice that they were moving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, obviously they got the thing in there, they were moving, but that that was not like at the end of the day my hands were tired from my handlebars smashing my freaking hands all day more than i was like oh man my grips feel loose you know i definitely didn't feel that way because like any grip that you i don't know most grips you grab they have a little give to them like in the rubber when you're moving your hand so yeah or your gloves slipping a little bit you know what i mean so yeah i don't know maybe it's just me I, i had one of my buddies that used to always get all like Weird about the ODI clamps. He's like on certain grips, they would like. He'd be like, "Oh, I can feel my grip like moving." And I'm like, "I have no idea what you're talking about, dude." Yeah, you know? but yeah, it's
1: uh, usually for people whenever they switch back to a traditional handlebar, that's kind of the eye-opening experience. Like mm-hmm. when they switch back to a rigid bar, it's like, "Oof, okay, this is harsh." Like this is that's when you notice the difference.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I know that's usually what what it takes for me. Like yeah. I ride something for a while and then I'd give it back or I take it off my bike or I get my other bike on my other bike. And then all of a sudden it's like blatantly obvious. I would yeah. say uh, I use pedaling innovation pedals they are kind of like a little bit bigger platform. And that's exactly what happened to me there. It was like I had regular flats on one bike and then those on the other one. And I don't know what happened. Like my, my other bike was broken or something like that. It was at the shop, you know, and I didn't ride it for like a month and then when i got my got it back and i got on the regular flat pedals again i was like oh i'm not doing this again after this ride
1: you know that's awesome
0: yeah 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 so um what's the what's the warranty look like so as far as like
1: advertised warranty i think we do like five year dealer or five-year manufacturer and two-year crash damage But I tell folks like we're all riders and racers here, so we operate on the basis of doing the right thing. So if you have an issue, reach out, one hundred percent. Like we, all of us, literally everybody here rides and races at a pretty decent level. Right. So yeah, we tell folks if you have an issue, even if it's outside of that window, give us a call. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. What's the crash replacement look like?
1: Um, We do fifty percent crash crash damage replacement. Right on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, so so how's that process work for people? Then they just like send you a picture or something like that or exactly. Yeah. Most most
1: of the times people will call in and then we just have them email us a photo.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Usually, honestly, like the crash damage stuff we see is not crash damage. It's more like bikes falling off the bike racks on the freeway and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like I said, it's le- left it on the roof rack and forgot about it and drove through the garage.
1: Exactly. Like it's, it's pretty hard to damage one of these in a crash. So usually what, what we've seen so far is more like like I just dealt with a carbon handlebar that fell off a bike rack last week. You know, so that's, uh-huh. that's more what we see than, than anything with the warranty stuff.
0: You know, and so I got a guy here in the, in the comments is asking how the bars interact with the suspension fork. So that's
1: a, a great question. So they're actually designed to complement the feel of a front, the front fork
0: or a suspension fork.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned earlier with that bar being positioned as close to neutral as possible, That's what I mean when I say neutral, like we, we want the bar as close to the plane of the fork as you can, as you can comfortably get it. Um, and then really that's kind of what the bar is doing is just complementing the feel of that front suspension. The cool thing there is then, then it allows you to tune the fork differently. You know, then you can set the fork up, you can set the, the compression up a little stiffer. Um, and then you can rely on the handlebar to pick up high frequency stuff like rocks and roots and some of that stuff that you would traditionally tune a fork for.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So you're saying that that way when the the movement of the handlebar whatever minute amount of movement that it has then that's moving in the exact same direction of your fork when it's compressing correct
1: yep and that's one thing too like people are like you know when they look at the bar it's like oh i don't know if i want my handlebar to move but because it's moving in the same plane as your fork because it's working with the fork it's really not moving that much on the trail. Like it's maybe one or two millimeters at a time. Like it's mm-hmm. they're at, at the bar end, like it's not a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to have like a big over jump to where you fully bottomed out that fork, mm-hmm. then the bar would start to engage quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the bar is working with that fork, you're not gonna get a ton of movement out of the handlebar unless you bottom that fork.
0: So typically it's only moving about a millimeter you said?
1: I would say probably, yeah, between one to three, depending on the elastomer setup you have and what riding you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. you can obviously get it to move quite a bit more. Like on my cross country bike, I have it set up super soft. Um, my cross country bike is more like a gravel grinder, you know, like Mm -hmm. I just more like more trying to minimize like washboard dirt road. You Mm -hmm. know, I'm not riding anything aggressive on that. And on that bike, I've got a really narrow handlebar and I've got a soft elastomer on there Mm -hmm. and, you know, if I'm sitting in the garage and I'm cranking on that thing and trying to push, push all my weight through it, I could probably get the elastomer or, or I could get the bar to move probably, you know, six to 10 millimeters at the bar end. But again, on the bike, on the trail, that's not, that's not how it's going to work. You know, it's going to be mm-hmm. more subtle, you know, two to three millimeters at a time, just taking that harsh edge off.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So when you order the bars, then are you ordering, like, do you just order them at like 825 and you cut them yourself or how does that work you have to order them to size or so we
1: have two widths we have a downhill bar that's 810 and mm-hmm. then the rest of our bars are 800. we the uh so we have three bars we have an enduro bar an e-bike bar and then a downhill bar and the enduro bar and the e-bike bar they're both 800 millimeters wide and then the downhill bar is 810.
0: Mm-hmm. okay but then as far as like the material in them or the elastomers, like all the stuff's the same same yep. So it's really just the, the size of the bar is what you're looking at
1: yep yep the width for that downhill bar is actually a wider center section for a direct mount stem
0: oh okay that makes sense yeah and then i would assume they're like 35 millimeter then
1: nope so 31.8 still mm-hmm. we have talked to, we have talked about doing a 31 31 or a 35 mil stem Uh um or a 35 mil bar we've talked about doing our own stem as well but uh for us because we have the you know the characteristic of the bar built into the design if we went to a 35 millimeter clamp area we would just add weight Mm -hmm. you know and so for us we worked really hard to keep that weight reasonable and so yeah if we went with that 35 millimeter clamp area it's just going to add weight and so it's Mm -hmm. like well again, a bit of a catch 22. I mean, eventually I think we will just because, you know, most, most bikes are coming stock with 35 mil stems now. So, um, Mm -hmm. I think eventually we probably will do a 35 mil bar. We're just being stubborn about it.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think you could achieve the same thing if you did, uh, like some kind of two piece stem instead of doing it with the handlebars?
1: I'm actually not sure. Um, I think it would be hard to get, controlled movement with the stem mm-hmm. there's some companies on the moto industry that are doing you know doing similar concept with the stem
0: Oh, okay what,
1: what they're doing is they're using an elastomer to wrap around the wrap around the handlebar basically so um it's kind of hard to describe but basically think of just sliding an elastomer onto the center of your ha- your handlebar and then clamping that in the stem mm-hmm. so the downside of that is that whenever you wrap the handlebar in that stem or whenever you wrap that handlebar in the elastomer, you're steering through that elastomer before the yeah. bike starts to react.
0: Right. So it's flexing that way too. Yeah. Yeah. Correct.
1: So there's some, right? you know, and that's one thing that one of the big, um, you know, one of the big, I guess, advantages of the flex bar is that it's in engineering terms, it's minimizing abuse in the load path of the suspension and it's precise in the steer path. So you're never steering through any of that abuse reduction. You're never steering through any wonky movement. It's Mm -hmm. just as precise as a traditional handlebar in that steer path. Um, And that kind of comes back to our philosophy. Like we've always from the moto, you know, early on in the moto days, like we've always said, we're not willing to sacrifice control for the sake of abuse reduction,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know? And it just, it comes back to us being riders and racers ourselves. Like, you know, like for like our foot peg, for example, on our moto, our moto foot peg, we tried playing around with softer elastomers on that. And that it's basically a three piece foot peg. It's a base, it's a flat elastomer, and then a cleat on top of that. Mm -hmm. And and we played around with softer elastomers, but the downside was with those softer elastomers, that top platform of the peg would get a weird four aft roll under harsh braking. And Mm -hmm. so for us, that was kind of like where we just drew the line, you know, like we, we want all of our products to feel as much like a traditional as possible, just less abuse at the end of the day, you know? So same with our foot peg, our handlebar, all of that stuff. We want it to, to feel as much like a traditional handlebar as possible. But when you get done riding at the end of the day, you, you shouldn't be shaking out your hands.
0: Mm-hmm. So you guys have a pretty big uh, line of, of moto stuff that you sell. Yeah. What do, do you think that you're like, like this is it for the mountain bike stuff or do you guys think that you're going to look at doing other stuff or
1: we uh yeah man we've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline we Mm -hmm. yeah we got a lot of stuff going on we we've actually talked about doing a um we've actually talked about doing a a gravel bar like a drop bar with Mm -hmm. kind of our design in it but again with that i think the big issue would be cost i don't think people would be willing to pay that much for a drop handlebar that that has that technology in it but Maybe,
0: um, but yeah, we've got some know, hand yeah. guards and I think you put the price high enough, then people just want to buy it because it's expensive, right?
1: Literally, yeah. Some <laughs> of those guys, man. But yeah, I mean, we've got like hand guards and we've got other little knickknacks here and there. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as as far as mountain bike stuff, we, yeah. we really want to get the mountain bike bar figured out. That's kind of our focus at the yeah uh, yeah time. And then you know we'll we'll yeah. kind of pick up the pieces from there. We we do. I do think we're going to do a stem here pretty quick though. Just because, you know, you got to put your handlebar in a stem. So, I think we're going to do a stem and then just have one-stop shop where we still sell stems for really cheap, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. I would feel like like doing a stem, too, is like, I mean, if you're already machining parts and stuff like that, it's not, I don't, I don't feel like it's, like, overly complicated to make a stem. You know what I mean? It's like, Yeah piece of metal and you you freaking cut it into whatever shape you want right yeah
1: yeah for us for us the uh, the only issue is machine time like we don't have not that we don't have enough machines but yeah for all the products we have and everything we yeah. have going on ma- machine time is kind of what we're waiting on for that
0: well, yeah and those machines aren't cheap either man so yeah. that's for sure
1: yeah, yeah. no kidding
0: <laughs> so um I asked earlier about the, the width of the bar. So as far as like people cutting them to their own size, like there's no, no void in the warranty or anything like that. No,
1: no, heck no, absolutely not. Yeah. Cut those suckers. Yeah. Make yourself comfortable. No issues there.
0: Yeah. And then as far as like, however you would normally cut a like carbon bar, alloy bar or whatever, it's no, no difference there.
1: Yeah. So they, uh, they, they come with instructions on how to cut the carbon. We just recommend like a 32, uh, yeah, 32 tooth, uh, you know, blade to, to get through the carbon pretty quick. So yeah, nothing gotcha. too crazy.
0: Gotcha. Enough, man. What do, uh, what do, what do people say? What are the, uh, like, what's the most common feedback that you get on them? Goodness. I mean,
1: I mean, I guess it's, uh, I guess it depends what kind of riding they're doing. Like we get a lot of guys, like a lot of the aggressive riders that don't expect much out of them, you know, like high-level enduro or downhill guys that just, you know, they see them and just don't expect them to really work well. Yeah. And then those guys are like, you know, jumping to flats or like, I would say that crowd, uh, that downhill enduro crowd, mm-hmm. those guys that are a little more hesitant and then they find themselves charging harder or doing more runs, more consecutive days, stuff like that is the, the most consistent feedback I'd say. Like we have a, uh, we had a big group go to Whistler last year. And that was one thing, like half the guys were on our handlebar and half of them weren't. And so that was kind of the joke amongst the group is, you know, the guys that had our handlebar were just having fun. Like they were ready for more runs and the rest of the guys weren't, you know? So I'd say that's, that's the more common feedback that we get is guys are like, man, I just, you know, I feel like I'm ready for more runs at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys have any kind of plans to go somewhere like a Sedona where people could, could try them or yeah, yeah. or something like that? Or do you yeah. guys already go to events or?
1: Yeah. So we, we've actually, we, we did quite a few. Um, we did Moab outer bike for a couple years and then we did Sedona mountain bike festival for a couple years. Um, we haven't done any events since COVID and not yeah. because just really because the events haven't come back yet. Um, mm-hmm they brought Sedona mountain bike festival back last fall, but it was kind of yes. last second. And yeah, we weren't, we're, we're more used to Sedona, in, Sedona in the spring. So we weren't, yeah. you know, weren't really ready for that, but um, so yeah, you we have be there next week. Uh, no, we have the hurricane mountain bike festival coming up, uh, up the road in hurricane in like three weeks. So uh, okay. yeah, we have hurricane mountain bike festival this year. And then we're doing Moab outer bike. And then we're doing Bentonville outer bike.
0: Oh, okay. When's yeah. the Benningville one? The end of October. What how's Outer Bike work? Isn't that is that like a demo thing too?
1: Yeah. Yep. It's just basically a big demo event. And uh you sign up beforehand. Um I imagine it's exactly like the, the Sedona in terms of how, how it operates on the back end. You got basically it, just it. sign up. Yeah, you just sign up and then you know you, you put a card and ID into your file. Yeah.
0: And then yeah, you just
1: rent bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I haven't been to one of the outer bike things before, so I'd I'd like to go check one of those out. Cause that that one in Utah Utah, right? Yeah, Moab. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't be too too much of a drive for me to get to. So Where
1: uh, you're you're in NorCal, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, Sacramento. Yeah, so okay. I mean, I guess I could fly out there somewhere, but I mean, even yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's rad, man. It's
1: a cool event.
0: Yeah, yeah. How, how long yeah. is it? A couple of days or something, or?
1: Yeah, Friday to Sunday.
0: Okay, so it's just like Sedona. Basically, they got like music and and beer and stuff there too, and all that. Yeah. Or is it like same, just the demos.
1: Same exact thing. Yep. Beer, yeah, right. beer tent, and food, and shuttles, and all kinds of stuff. It's
0: yeah. they're fun. I, I like them.
1: Huh. I'll
0: have to check that one out, man. That yeah. that definitely. I've been meaning to go ride ride the Moab area, and I just. I just haven't you know how it's like you're you get like all so many weekends in the summer or whatever you know and for us around here it's kind of like in winter when there's snow in tahoe you're riding all your local stuff and the stuff that you're like that's too hot in the summer and then as soon as like tahoe starts melting like then you're you're trying to get all that high altitude riding in you throw in one or two trips and You're like man they're one year again you know yeah
1: out of time i know and that's like yeah for us pretty much the only time we get to moab is for that outer bike and so it's kind of a blessing and a curse like it's fun but you don't get a ton of time to ride you know at least for us as as vendors you know we're we're kind of limited we show up a day before and get in a little riding but
0: yeah i always feel bad for the guys when i'm in sedona because they're like yeah we're here it's awesome but (laughs) like, <laughs> to do anything else you know yeah dude and that's the
1: first time we did outer bike we stayed afterwards to do some riding and then yeah after a couple of days of the uh a couple of days of the festival nobody was nobody had the energy to ride it was like yeah let's just get home
0: yeah right you're just over it you're like let's go yeah. let's beat it <laughs> yeah that's funny so you said you, you guys were in like close to to saint george yep there's some some pretty uh, gnarly riding down there, huh?
1: There's a ton of it, man. It's a lot like Moab. There's uh-huh. there's a ton of riding out here. Big variety of riding, too. There's Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out here.
0: I think what I saw on like from videos and stuff like that, it's not as much like exposure as there is in Moab though, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, there are yeah. some areas where you can kind of, because I fucking am afraid of heights, so I don't want to do that. Dude, I'm
1: right there with you. There is some areas <laughs> where you can get sketchy and you can get yourself uncomfortable, but yeah, not for me. I'll watch.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I hear you there. So, is there like a real big ATV scene there as well? And
1: yeah, oh heck yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that, uh, I mean, that wasn't necessarily why they moved the business out here. It was just more kind of the business climate at the time, uh-huh. but. Yeah, I mean, there's this is a massive area for side-by-sides and motorcycles and quads, and it's a lot like Moab, like just a huge tourist attraction.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been down in that area. I almost bought a bike from somebody in that area like a year or two ago, and I was kind of like really excited about it because I was like, this is an excuse for me to go down there and ride, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But uh, it ended up not panning out, so. yeah.
1: That's yeah. uh, dude. There's so much riding here. You need like a week to see it all. You need a week yeah. to see the good stuff. Like there's, uh-huh. I have a buddy that comes out here every couple of years, and he spends a week, and he just he rides like two or three trails a day, and he's just,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: It's kind of how you have to do it to hit all the
0: good stuff. Is everything there like um all all um like legit, or is there like a bunch of poachy stuff? Or how, there's some
1: there is a bit of both. There is some poachy yeah. stuff, but. I'd say, I'd say mostly legit, but there is some poachy stuff here and there. Like out, out in Virgin, out by the rampage sites, there's a bunch uh-huh. of poach stuff out there.
0: So is it poached just because it's like private property or something like that? Or, cause it's not like you're hiding in the woods like we are, you know?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I would say, I, I, I honestly, I think it's private property and they just don't get the okay to build.
0: Right, um, right okay. You know, cause they'll go
1: to like those rampage sites, you know, for rampage. And right. then whenever they leave, the local kids just spend like the next six months out there just digging and building. And Uh so I don't, I don't know if they have the okay to dig out there, but yeah, Yeah. it it seems, it doesn't seem like they have an issue.
0: Does rampage like clean that? Like, do they like, they don't break that stuff up when they leave, they just leave it. Right. Yeah.
1: That's the crazy thing, dude. It's like the kids that we have growing up out here are like just not human because they're, you know, they they grew up riding the red the rampage side at like 16, 17 years old, you know, and they're just,
0: Just throwing themselves off of cliffs and shit.
1: It's wild, dude. Uh, <laughs> myself and Chris, one of the owners of Fast Company. Um, Chris is actually still the head coach of a mountain bike team out here, a high school mountain uh-huh. bike team. And uh, for a couple of years, I helped them with it. And it, it's tough because like the NICA rule, you know, the NI- NICA, they hammer that rule, keep your wheels on the ground. But uh-huh. all of the kids out here, dude, like they get done riding in practice And then they go to red the rampage site and they're throwing backflips on their trail bikes. Yeah. You know? And so like, it's tough to tell those kids to keep the wheels on the ground, you know, like if you take those kids to a cross country practice and you tell them, keep the wheels on the ground, like you're robbing the fun out of it, you know? And so it's kind of tough because yeah, some of those kids were like, Hey dude, keep, you know, just keep it mellow. Don't be jumping stuff, just wheels on the ground. And then, you know, you see them that afternoon doing backflips at the rampage site and you're like, (laughs) "Dude, what are you doing?
0: (laughs) that's funny yeah so i want to ask you um why is the company called fast good question man i don't
1: uh i don't have a great answer for that that's one yeah, of the yeah, no. things that i don't have a great answer for
0: yeah no it's all right yeah they just came up with it i wasn't sure like they just there was like some kind of inside story to it or something like that so.
1: yeah yeah no nothing uh no story, no nothing yeah. cool. At least, should make something up, man. I
0: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, what, what do you think that you know that we haven't talked about that you would like people to know about about the product?
1: Um, honestly, I, I think I think two big things. I think one, the performance, and two, the craftsmanship. You know, because like you spoke to earlier, like a lot of people look at the bar and they're like. Oh, you know, I feel like that's going to break off in my hands and it could not be further from the truth. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like I said, I mean, aside from the fact that we have a bunch of really capable dudes working here that put this thing through the, you know, through its paces Mm -hmm. aside from that, I mean, we spent 20 years developing or, you know, we we have 20 years into a motorcycle handlebar now. So, you know, like quite literally our mountain bike bar is a scaled down version of the moto bar. That thing is way overbuilt. Um, So on the craftsmanship side of it, you know, that's kind of what, that's part of the American made thing. Like I said, all all of our handlebars are built by hand individually inspected. You know, there's, I think there's something like 13 or 14 machine parts into this handlebar. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I tell folks, you know, like you, you spoke to the price earlier to do it and to do it right comes at a cost. You know, if Mm -hmm. we were building these things for, you know, if we were pressing these things out in, you know, some other country for, 15 20 bucks or whatever it was i mean it, it just wouldn't be the quality and durable product people expect from us you mm-hmm. know and the same thing from our moto bar if we were having this thing built somewhere else it just wouldn't it, w- it wouldn't wouldn't be up to our standards and wouldn't be what people expect from us so yeah,
0: the, the, yeah two from things- all the experience with the with the moto stuff i mean that's the thing that in my eyes like should give somebody some like peace of mind like if you guys just came out with this bar last year and it was like yeah well we me and my buddies we've been riding it you know like <laughs> like it, it would definitely be like less um like it Trusting wouldn't have it, as much clout you know what i mean yeah. but like the idea of it handling what you could throw at it with an atv or a moto you know like there that's that's like that's way more abuse than than my mountain bike's gonna get you know
1: correct, correct. yeah I but not only mean, that
0: but I guess you could argue too. Well, there's so much more suspension in them. Maybe they feel less. I don't know. You know. Yeah. the
1: The one thing though that uh, I would say the really abusive part of moto and ATV stuff is whenever they crash. You know. Yeah. It's a 300, you know, 250, 300 pound machine coming toppling over on that handlebar. You know, and um, like I said, we have a surprising amount of people that run a handlebar for 10, 15 years. You know, so that's we 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 just. You know, we we don't want a handlebar that people can't trust. People can't, right. uh, you know, have for year in and year out, and just, you know, I I think a big thing is the trust side of it. Like we want yeah, people to know that it's going to stay together.
0: Well, that's right. It's American made too. I mean, so, yeah, like, that that's pretty cool.
1: Actually, our our mountain bike bar is 100% made in Utah.
0: Oh yeah, all right yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, I saw you guys had a little little American flag on there or something like that.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, All of our stuff does, man. Everything. Yeah. All of our products have a little American flag somewhere on it.
0: (laughs) That's right, man. Yeah. Well, I don't want to like just sit here and go on and on about, um, the same kind of questions over and over again. So I think, I feel like we've covered everything unless there, unless there's something. But, um, I do like to ask people at the end, you watch YouTube. Oh Yeah. I always ask people and it doesn't matter if it's like a mountain biking channel or not, like what YouTube channels they watch. Cause it's fun to like <laughs> come up with some, like, maybe you learn about some new channel. There was a guy once that was on the show, told me about this guy named that does like, it's called cart Narcs,
1: Yeah. And he
0: just like freaking hassles people in the parking lot about not putting their cards back in the, in the like, little. yes, like, yes. it's hilarious. It's fucking that's, hilarious. That's
1: <laughs> my guy. I like
0: yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah so what do you like to watch?
1: Dude, so I'm I'm a bit of a nerd for this channel. It's called Matt's Off Road Recovery. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I what you're talking about.
1: So they're they're based out of here in St. George. They're like right up the road from us, and so yeah, we'll be out on moto rides sometimes, and we'll see those guys on a recovery, you know. And so yeah, yeah and they've yeah their their YouTube channel is massive. And uh, there's a
0: pretty big mountain bike YouTuber called BCPOV yeah. who actually got his sprinter stuck out there. And just so happened to have Matt's Off-Road Recovery show up to pull him out.
1: No way.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's pretty that crazy. is rad,
1: dude. Small world. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: so I'd say that's uh, that's, the, that's the current one. Like, yeah. I, I don't watch a lot of TV or a lot of YouTube, but that's the one yeah. that like Wednesday, whenever they re- release new episodes, I'm on it.
0: <laughs> right on, man. Well, like I said, uh, or if I—I ha- I don't even know if I did say—I really do appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, really yeah. talking about your product, and yeah, uh, and hopefully I'll, I'll be able to make it to one of these these fests that you guys are going to and get give it give it a shot. Put put my uh, put them to the test, see how it feels. So
1: yeah, heck again, yeah, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, yeah, it was good chatting with you.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a good time. Anybody that that hasn't had a um, the chance to hit the thumbs up button, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that button for me. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. If you want to go check out the the uh, the website, it's F-A-S-S-T-C-O.com. And you can see all their motor stuff. You can see all their MTB stuff over there. Check them out. It's in the show more. If you're, if you're on the, the website, your podcast app should have that link down there as well. Let's so go ahead and click it. Go over there and check it out. Man. I um, want you guys to remember one thing, though. It only takes a bike to be a biker. Get out and be one.